let's take our Bibles this morning and we're going to turn to um, Hebrews chapter 9. Right? Hebrews chapter 9 to begin with. Hebrews chapter number 9. Very wonderful. Just two verses we're going to read by way of introduction. And the book of Hebrews was written, first of all, to the Jewish believers. And, of course, that application and doctrine for us as well. But in the last two verses of the chapter, let's take a look there. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. The Bible says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this time that we can be here this morning and be in the word of God. We thank you that we're able to sing uh, songs of praise and preparation and the song of his second coming. Now, Lord, I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit uh, to bring a message that will, first of all, glorify thee and will exalt Jesus Christ and one that will be used of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. And, And we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are certain events in the Bible that have some special significance, and certainly one of those was when Christ was born. As the Bible says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten the Father, full of grace and truth. And certainly His crucifixion, when He died on the cross for our sins, and when He rose again, we're going to be looking at that uh, next Lord's Day. But then another event that took place and uh, is kind of associated with today, uh, today's known as Palm Sunday, it's when the Lord Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem. And he there, and what he did was he officially presented himself to Israel as the Messiah. That was an official presentation. We're going to take a look at a couple of the prophecies about that in just a few moments. And then this verse, verse 28 Talks about him. He will. He. Uh, he uh, shall he appear the second time without sin. In other words, with without he will not be bearing our sins. Um, he will come back to be king over all the earth, and he will have a second, if you will, uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so he's coming again. Coming again. We. we the Bible tells us. That, assures us that he's coming again. So this morning. I'd like us to consider some scriptures that have to do with his first and second coming and and his appearance. And so uh, let's go back to Psalm 118, the the scripture that we read for the morning scripture reading. Um, This is a messianic psalm, and it it refers to part of it, what we're going to take a look at. Um, During the Feast of Tabernacles, this psalm was read... And branches were waved, palm branches were waved in the temple. These branches were called hosannas. So it was, and everybody knew what it was that they were praising God for and looking forward to. It was for the coming of the Messiah. And so let's pick it up in verse 22. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. And the Lord Jesus referred to this in his teaching. Peter refers to it in the book of 1 Peter. And that this rejected stone 
Obviously, the builders are the, 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 the leaders of Israel and so on. And they refused Christ. They said, we will not have this man to rule over us. And they said, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. What a lie. <laughs> they, all their life they hated Caesar, but they had a common enemy now, Jesus. And so they took out their vengeance against him. And so, but that, that's, that rejected cornerstone has been made the head of the corner. 23, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. In other words, the, people, the true people of God are marvel at what the Lord Jesus did. In that same passage where it talks about Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, 1 Peter 2.7 says, Unto you therefore which believe, He is precious. But to those that be disobedient and believe not, the stone which the builders refused, the same has become the head of the corner. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Talking about, even though they, they, they knew that it was talking about their Messiah. And then verse 24, And this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And that's referring again to God's work of making Christ the head of the corner. How did he do that? When did that happen? Well, first of all, when he died on the cross and, and shed his precious blood and was buried and rose again and ascended into heaven, he was established as the chief cornerstone, the head of the church, and so on. And so that's the day that the psalmist is actually referring to, uh, which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now. And that's the word Hosanna. And save now. It's actually, a, it's not, it's, it's almost, it's a word of beseeching. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. The people of Israel are crying out to God. And this word became more known late as the centuries went by, became known as a word of praise. Hosanna. Right? Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. By the way, that's exactly what they said. That's what the multitudes cried. As we'll see later, when Christ rode into Jerusalem, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now unfortunately, sadly, by the end of the week, Many of those same people were saying, away with him, crucify him. Anyway, so Daniel chapter 9, let's go there. For just, just a couple moments here, I want to show you that there should have been no excuse for people not recognizing who Christ was. You know, this is a prophecy about for Israel, 70 weeks, verse 24. 70 weeks, 77s, not days, but years, 490 prophetic years. Um, seven of them were fulfilled with the, with the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of the city. And then the, the, the final 62, adding up to 69, were fulfilled when Jesus was crucified. Notice verse 26. And after three score and two weeks. Now the way that progresses there is talking about 70 total 7 plus 62. So after 62 weeks, in other words, 69 weeks are fulfilled. So 69 of the 70, um, 400, uh, almost 483 years, 476 of 483 years were fulfilled when? Let's see. And after three score, verse 26, and two weeks shall Messiah, and everybody, all the Jews know that that's talking about the anointed one, Christ um, uh, 
Shall, shall Messiah be cut off? Of course, that's referring to his death on the cross. And cut off there is refers to a violent death, a painful death. But not for himself. Not because of anything he did wrong, nor for his benefit, but for the people. All right? For the people he came to save. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. So we have the ultimate fulfillment of that in 70 AD. Jesus told the disciples, won't be one stone left upon another. And he you know, said, when will this be? And, he, and then what will be the sign of the coming? So the Romans came in. AD 70 flattened the Jerusalem temple and so on. And Jesus said they would not leave one stone unturned. That was literally fulfilled. They, they, they looked for gold and treasure, so they went, they sifted through and turned over every stone of the temple looking for treasure. Of course, you know there's never the temple has never been rebuilt. And then verse 27 talks about the Antichrist covenant. We, again, just briefly there. One of those, one of those things we will include the rebuilding of the temple. He'll pretend to be a friend of Israel. He'll restore their worship system and all that. And in the midst, it says he will break that covenant. Right? So, Daniel 11. Let's look there for just a moment. Daniel chapter 11. Um, verse 31. Again, referring to the days of Antichrist to come. It says, Daniel 11, 31. An arm shall stand on his part and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, that is God's house, and shall take away the daily sacrifice. That's what's talked about. Daniel 9.27, he'll break the covenant, he'll take away the sacrifice. And they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. That's when Antichrist will take possession of the temple, set himself up as God. Right? So these are all prophesied, prophecies. And then one more in Zechariah, which is the next to last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Zechariah 9, 9. says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So he's riding upon a donkey coming into the city. No, and this, this is the major prophecy of the Messiah riding into Jerusalem. But notice having salvation. They, didn't, they did not get that. They were looking for a Messiah who would come in, destroy the enemies, and set up the kingdom, and all those kinds of things. All right? Now let's go to Matthew chapter 21. Let's take a look at the first time. The first time that he rode into Jerusalem, Matthew chapter 21. And we'll take a look there. Starting in verse 1. Very familiar. This is the events that we're talking about today. That when Christ came in the first time, triumphantly, and when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, Matthew 21, 1, and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, go, over in, go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, he shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. 
All this was done. Here it is right here. Notice. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and the colt, the full of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them, put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. Get that picture. They put Jesus on the donkey, and it says this, verse 8, A very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. Just very, very similar to what they did in the temple during the great Hallel when they read Psalm 118 and they, and they cried out, Hosanna, they waved the branches. They were, they were anticipating back in the Old Testament the arrival of the Messiah. And so the Lord Jesus Christ absolutely knew what, what He was doing, as always, but he, he knew the Scriptures and He knew what was going on. And He did it. This was an official presentation of Him as the King. Notice verse 9, The multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Did they understand the concept of Messiah? Yes, they did. The son of David and so on. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved. They were agitated, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And of course, he was the prophet, but much more than the prophet. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said of them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came into Jerusalem, he cleansed the temple and if you go back and search in the book of Daniel, you'll find that Daniel prophesied that the Messiah would come. He will cleanse the temple, cleanse the sanctuary. He will remove the abomination of desolation. He will remove everything that the Antichrist, of course, before he even gets to the temple, he will take the Antichrist and cast him into um, the lake of fire. So what was the Lord, what was his true purpose in coming the first time? The Bible says in this was manifested the love of God toward us in that He sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins and so forth. 1 John 4, 9-11 through 11 talks about that love of God that sent Jesus. And if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. By the way, the, the quote is um, the book from going in the temple there about the house of prayer. That's mentioned both in Isaiah and also uh, in Jeremiah. I'd like us to look at one passage from the Old Testament again uh, very quickly. That's 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 6 which is part of Solomon's prayer. Part of Solomon's prayer. <clears throat> Do you realize that in the Old Testament God chose Abraham and he chose him to, to be the father of the nation of Israel and that he loved Israel, we know that, there's no doubt about it. Deuteronomy talks about God's love for Israel, but did you know that he loved the rest of the world too? In fact, 
If you go back through there, you'll find out God said, yes, I want you to destroy the nations, the Canaanites, because of their wickedness and evil. But do you remember what he said about the rest of the nations? If they're willing to make peace with you, make peace. And God loved the world. Our little Sunday school, my little kid's Sunday school class this morning, our, our lesson was about Naaman the Syrian. And how he went to, to Israel and then he dipped in Jordan. I mean, it was more complicated than that, but he eventually obeyed. And he got in that river and he came out clean. And he said, I'll never worship any other God but the Lord. Do you think God loved Naaman? God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Why? Do you think God loved the Ninevites? Yes, he did. He, Jonah's a great picture of a missionary, though a reluctant one. But here, I want to see what Solomon prayed in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 32 and 33. Well, let's back up to 31 because this is, this is talking about Israel. This is the end, kind of the end of uh, our, this part of Solomon's prayer where he's praying for the people of Israel. He says that they may fear thee, 2 Chronicles 6, 31, to walk in thy ways so long as they live in the land which thou gavest unto our fathers. That's definitely this referred to Israel. But notice, 32, moreover, concerning the stranger. Now that's not talking about the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. But notice, which is not of thy people Israel, but has come from a far country for thy great name's sake. Now, Solomon's talking not about Israel's great name, but God's great name. For thy great name's sake, and thy mighty hand, and thy stretched out arm, if they come and pray in this house. You, hear, you see that? If they come and pray in this house. Why did Israel forbid Gentiles from coming into the house of God. Not because God said don't let them in. See what it says here? If they come and pray in this house, then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for. <coughs> Notice that all people of the earth may know thy name and fear thee as doth thy people Israel and may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. Now, I, what, you know what I would say to Solomon if I could see him right now? Nice prayer, buddy. Why didn't you do it? Why didn't you do it? Solomon had the greatest opportunity of any Israelite in the Old Testament to, quote, win the world to God. Do you remember what the Bible says about him? Kings came from all over the world. <coughs> what? To do what? To hear the wisdom of Solomon, period, no. What does it say? Concerning the Lord his God. See, they were giving God the credit. And Solomon, boy, he messed up bad on that one. He showed me all his riches and he did all this and came to the point where he took the glory. And I think that's why he turned away from God and married all those women. Because he wanted to us. He wanted, he wanted the glory. So how do you influence other kingdoms? Well, you, you take wives from their other kings and all that. He totally blew it. And you know he wrote Ecclesiastes when he was out of fellowship with God. Now thank God he came back to the Lord somewhat. But So I'm saying that when the temple was meant, was meant to be a house of prayer for all people. Okay? So, so it's the first time he came 
He came to save. He came, yes, he came to save Israel. He came to save the Gentiles too. He came to save all the world, all those who had trusted him. And I've just said all that to say God had a heart for every every nation back in the old back in the Old Testament. And anyway, so let's go to John 19, chapter 19, and then we're going to take a look at the second time, right? John chapter 19, and um, I'm going, I know we're going over a lot here, but I hope it is kind of whet your appetite to study more, to realize, you know, you know what happened, but let's think about it again. Um, let's remember, Jesus rode into Jerusalem. He was acclaimed by the multitudes. There's a place where, where you know, they were, they were praising him. We sang that song about Hosanna, loud Hosanna, the little children sang. And the Pharisees said, you know, tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said, if these would hold their peace, and the stones would cry out. And he said, have you never read? See, Jesus always took them back to the scripture. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings? That's the ordained praise. That's Sami. Okay, so John 19. So they took him there they, um, a few days later. Um, they arrested him. They took him before before um, the Jewish leaders, and they took him before Pilate. Pilate sent him to Herod. Herod sent him back to Pilate. Pilate gave the gave the order for him to be crucified. So John 19 verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, "I thirst." They brought him vinegar. He said, "It is finished." And bowed his head, gave up the ghost. What was finished? His work. His work of redemption. Completely done. And then, of course, God raised him from the dead to confirm that and that to show he was satisfied with what the Lord Jesus did. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to take a look at the second time. And, you know, I just, I'm so concerned, I'm so burdened for people even people that, that say they claim to know the Lord, and I don't know about you, I just hope that none of you are confused. There's a lot of man-made confusion about the second coming of Christ. My, my dear precious wife has a dear sweet sister in Canada who's a, who's a believer, claims to be a believer. Um, after Jan's mom went home to be the Lord, and she, we weren't able to go. Anyway, we watched it online, live streaming, and Jan got talking to her sister, Afterwards, and her, she wanted to ask her sister about something she said at the funeral. And my wife said, "Do I understand right that you don't believe in the rapture?" She said, "You're right. I don't. I don't believe in the rapture. I don't believe Jesus is coming." And my wife said, "What in the world do you believe? How do we get to heaven?" Well, every time a Christian dies, they go to heaven, get their glorified body, and that's that's it. So there's a lot of confusion. And the saddest thing about that, not certainly even the fact there's a confusion, people say it doesn't matter. I've heard people say it doesn't matter what you believe about the second coming. Well, does it matter? Or does it not? Is it, you know, there's all these theories out there, folks. And, I, and the reason why there's so many theories is because guys, men, and women decide they want to promote something and so they write a book about it and they take a scripture out of context and build a whole book and there's all kinds of books out there about the second coming. You don't need to read those books. I'm serious. You need to read the Bible and see what the Bible says about the Lord's return. It's very clear. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. 
I would not, but I would not have you to be ignorant. Now he doesn't, we use ignorant today probably in a derogatory way. Paul wasn't saying that. He's saying, I, I would not have you to be without understanding. I would not have you to be unlearned. So if Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, then apparently it's possible for somebody not to be ignorant, all right? Why would Paul say, I want to teach you this if it, if it can't be taught and it can't be learned? Here's what he says, Brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. See, there were errors going on. If you, if you died before the Lord's coming, you were lost. All right? For in, in Timothy, Paul said, there are those who, who uh, say that the resurrection is past already and, and overthrow the faith of some. So here's what he says, We sorrow not even as others which have no hope. So, in other words, we, we sorrow in our loved ones. We don't sorrow for them, I hope. <laughs> we sorrow for ourselves. But not like those that have no hope. If a person is a believer, we know, we know they're in heaven. For if we, for, verse 14, for if we believe, and the word if there in the Greek is, can also be the idea of since. It's not, a, it's not a question or a possibility. It's a certainty. If we believe that Jesus died, and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That is the souls of those who have gone to heaven. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. They won't precede or stop. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shell, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. In other words, those who have died. Those whose bodies are in the ground are going to come out. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I mean, how clear, how much more clear could Paul make it? There's going to be, the Lord's coming down, there's going to be a trumpet, there's going to be a shout. Those who have died and their souls are with, that's who he's bringing with him. And those who, their bodies are going to come out of the grave. First Corinthians chapter 15 says, uh, The dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And he says, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so, then, there's going to be a tribulation on the earth. Let's go to Matthew 24. Real quickly here, we'll take a look at a couple things. It is, it is so clear, it is so plain. Um, and one of the things that my sister-in-law, is, she's hung up on, she has this idea, well, first of all, she has a wrong uh, emphasis or a wrong interpretation, which, by the way, is out there today. There are those who teach, and I had a book, I don't know, I, I thought it would be good, I knew, I knew the author, it was a book about Revelation, and he said, everything in Revelation has already happened. So I said, Chuck, you, Chuck that book, get rid of that book, and, and so, so in other words, it's already happened, so when Jesus came the first time, he bound the hand of Satan, Satan's bound, Satan's in the pit, the kingdom is going on right now. I saw a five. Satan's bound, and what in the world? Who else? Maybe I got it. I got it. I got it. They, the devil's bound, but not all, all the rest of the demons are still out there running around. <laughs> that's not what's happening. But so there's all these misconceptions. That's what my sister said. 
Everything that Jesus said about the Antichrist happened when he was on earth. That, that's just a false... So, so here's what I'm saying. That's why there's all these weird books out there because somebody can get a hold of Yeah, that's, I think that's true. And she, because it says, this generation shall not pass. Oh, that's the generation when Jesus is on earth, so they write a book about it. And so, and, and here's the thing about these books, folks, and, and some of you have brought me books and asked me, do you think this is right? Well, the reason that this, this did why it's confusing is if, if, their, if their premise is correct, then everything else follows along logically. And that's why people get hooked in that. But here's the problem. If their premise is wrong, everything else is wrong. See, if Jesus coming is future and not past, then everything that person says falls apart and is wrong. All right? So the Bible says, and the Bible says there's going to be a tribulation. Look at Matthew 24. And to understand, I mean, I've really come to appreciate what I call the signposts in the Bible. I mean, there's certain things that the prophets said and Jesus said and the apostles said that are markers to keep us on track. Here's one. Matthew 24, verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Well, that's, I think that's mentioned three times in the book of Daniel. The abomination of desolation. Where's it going to be? It's going to be in the holy place. What's the holy place? The holy of holies. The sanctuary of God. And what is it? It's when Antichrist is going to set himself up as God. He's going to, cap, he's going to conquer or capture the temple. And the image of the beast is going to be set there. And so on. And then the mark of the beast and all those things will happen. And so Jesus said, it's future. It didn't happen when he was on the earth. It's going to be in the future. And then it talks about fleeing the mountains and all that. Let's skip down to verse 20, uh, 20, 21. This is Jesus now. That's what he said. For then, in other words, after this abomination of desolation. After you see that, you know, he's talking, when he says this generation, he's talking about the generation of the people on earth when it happens. Because they're going to be there, they're going to be worshiping. Understand, this, when Jesus talks about this, he's talking about the time when the Antichrist is going to make that covenant and Israel is going to feel secure. And the Antichrist is going to say, peace and safety. And then some destruction, the plagues of God and all that. But then he's, he's going to, so Israel's going to be there in the land, and so the Antichrist is going to declare war on them. And that's why Jesus said, pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath. It's going to make it hard to escape. For, notice, 21, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So in other words, it's going to be the worst time ever. So the worst time for the earth, as I can recall, I wasn't there, of course, but when the flood of Noah's day. All right? And Jesus said, this is going to be worse. It's going to be worse. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. Now he's talking, in other words, the word for saved there is, in other words, not, nobody would survive that time. No one would live through it. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. 
In other words, the people of God are going to be greatly persecuted. So, so again, the great tribulation, as, as we compare Daniel and Matthew and, and, and Thessalonians and Revelation, that refers to the second part of the tribulation. So if we think about the seven years, it makes sense. If that's what we're short. But when we think about the second three and a half years, that, that even tells us the intensity. For Jesus said, if, the, if God didn't shorten that time, limit that time, nobody would live. Now, according to Revelation, over, just a little, over half of the world's population will die during the tribulation. All right, let's go to, to the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, <clears throat> let's go to verse 3. Let no man deceive you. Well, I better back up to verse 1. Um, this is really, this is cool. Now we beseech you, I don't know if you're supposed to say cool anymore, but this is cool. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and what's next? By our gathering together unto him. Now, our gathering together unto Him is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, 18. That's where we go to be the Lord. By the way, where does the word rapture come from? It's not in the Bible. But I, think, God, I should have mentioned it. That 1 Thessalonians 4, caught up. Caught up together to meet the Lord near. That caught up is where, where we get the word rapture. The word rapture in the Bible actually comes from a Latin word rapturo, which has two meanings. It means you know, great joy. But it also means a snatching away. The idea is of a suddenness. That fits, right? What did Paul say? In a moment, to of an eye. But then after that, here's what's going to happen. So look, look, look first of all, what was going on? You know, the Thessalonian church was a great church. And even Paul even said so. And so because it was a great church, because the gospel was getting out, because the work of God was flourishing, the devil raised up opposition. He raised up opposition in the form of deception. Be not ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep. First, first Thessalonians. Look at Second Thessalonians. Now, now we beseech you, brethren, chapter two, verse one, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither be by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So. There apparently, and I've read about a little bit of history of it, that there was a letter sent to Thessalonians forged and claimed to be from Paul. Right? Let no man deceive you by any means. Now the day of Christ is the day of his coming to earth in vengeance. It's the day of the vengeance of our God. Right? The day of the Lord that's referred to in the Old Testament and New. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he as God sitting in sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now that's what I've been talking about: the Antichrist taking possession of the temple, and with the false prophet setting up the image of the beast and saying he is God. Antichrist means against Christ, but it also means instead of Christ. And he's going to set himself up as God. He's going to do miracles, the Bible says, in Revelation and other places. Um, so then it talks about um, the wicked the wicked one. Verse 8, Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, 
with all power and signs and lying wonders. Right? Those are the miracles the Antichrist and the false prophet will perform. And then the Bible goes on to say there that those who rejected Christ will not get another chance in the tribulation. Verse, verse 11. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I remember as a teenager, I had this brilliant plan. I always had problems with doubts whether I was really saved. So, well, it's okay. Uh, when the Lord comes in the rapture, I'll just get saved really quick. And somebody, some you know, mean preacher pointed out to me that this is not going to happen that way. <laughs> so, because first of all, who nobody knows if they're going to be here when the rapture comes. We don't know when it's going to happen. So God's going to send delusion to those who openly rejected Christ. And the idea there says they have, they received not the love of the truth. Doesn't say they didn't hear the truth. They didn't receive the truth. And so um, that they all might be damned. Verse twelve: Who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So now let's take a look at Revelation nineteen, and we have just. Um, this two, per, two verses in Revelation and one in Matthew and then we're done. But notice Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Um, and those who want to know the truth, it's pretty easy to point out the difference between 1 Thessalonians 4 and Revelation 19. 1 Thessalonians 4 says the Lord comes down and the believers go up and we meet the Lord in the air. Revelation 19 says Jesus comes down to the earth. So that's the second part. By the way, this is, this is what the writer of Hebrews meant when he said he'll appear the second time. This is what he's talking about. I mean, it's in two stages. But ultimately, this is it, all right? Chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse... And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Right? There's nothing in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, or John 14, three places where the Bible says he's going to receive us unto himself. There's no talk of, of judgment or vengeance or war. And there is a judgment in heaven, the judgment seat of Christ. That's for our reward. Anyway, um, Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Again, there's no mention of crowns in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, John 14. But there will be crowns this time, he's coming back to rule. And, but he, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was dipped, he was clothed rather, in a vesture dipped in blood. And that's referring to his triumph over his enemies. And his name is called the Word of God. The Logos of God, the visible representation, manifestation of the invisible God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Now that's for his enemies. That's for his enemies. There's a lot of, he has a lot of enemies in this, in this world today. Lots of enemies in our country. Lots of enemies in our government. So on. But he, ha he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, so he's coming. Way different. This description of his coming is far different than John 14. 
or 1 Thessalonians 4, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's no mention of crowns and wars and treading out of the winepress and all that. That's going to happen during the tribulation and when Christ comes. Verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Now, Revelation uh, 16 talks about that when blood will flow four feet high for 200 miles. Right? So this is literally, they're literally they're, and, and I saw the beast. Here we go. Here's the beast, the Antichrist. Kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. According to Daniel and some other prophecies, this is, and then Luke says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, right? So Antichrist, once and for all, he's going to take his armies and he's going to he's going to go on go against Jerusalem. He's going to circle it, and he said, once and for all, I'm going to eliminate those filthy Jews in that city of Jerusalem. And all before he can do a thing at that time, he's got something going to take his attention, and it's the the, the the coming of Jesus Christ, and he's going to turn their attention against him. So it says they were they're gathered there to make you know, to make war. And it's going to be the, the quickest war in history. The beast was taken, that is the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he received them and received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both, who's both? The Antichrist, the beast, that, and the false prophet. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, <coughs> burning with brimstone. And the remnant, that is the rest, were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Now there, so Jesus is going to speak death to his enemies. Right? Thessalonians said he'll destroy with the spirit of his mouth. Isaiah prophesied the same thing. And then we go, then this, notice his coming, Revelation 19, 11, 21, his kingdom. Revelation 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and there was locked him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat on upon them, and judgment was given on them. That's, that's the believers. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which, not, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So those dear tribulation martyrs. But the rest of the dead lived not again, until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Again, the first resurrection, part of, it, part of the first resurrection takes place when they're in the rapture. The second part takes place at his return. And I, again, I thought I could go over all those scriptures. It's all laid out in the word of God. But the first resurrection altogether contains the Old Testament saints, the church age saints, 
the tribulation saints. That's who's taken up, all right? Now, notice, blessed is and holy, verse 6, is he that hath part in the first resurrection, and such a second death hath the power, that they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. A thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years, three times in this passage. And when the thousand years are expired, I can't figure out how the amillennialists deal with a, a, a figurative thousand years. How does something begin and end if, if it isn't real? But when the thousand years are expired, in other words, at the end of the kingdom, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations that are in the four corners of the earth, God may God, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Now who is that? Well, according to the book of Isaiah, there will be children born, there will be saved people on earth who live through the tribulation, come into the kingdom, Matthew 25, and they will have children. The Bible in Isaiah 65 talks about the children, blessed Lord, and their offspring. Okay? And so these, after a thousand years of perfect environment, they're going to rebel because they didn't get saved. See, people are going to have to be saved during the millennium. You have to believe this to be consistent in Scripture. So they went up on the breadth of the earth, and there was from all over the place, compassed the city, or the camp, of the saints about, and the beloved city. See what? The, the devil hates Jerusalem. You've got to write that down. The devil hates Jerusalem. He hates Israel. That's why there's so many attempts to destroy it. And the devil, and sorry, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now I want you to look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into a lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Question, when did the false prophet and beast get thrown into a lake of fire? When were they cast alive into a lake of fire? Beginning of the millennium, right? Now the, the millennium is over, a thousand years past. The devil's cast in a lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. In other words, they still are. They're still alive, they're still like a fire, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay? And I saw a great white throne. Might as well finish the chapter. And I saw a great white throne. Now, this is the fire. This is the, uh, by the way, um, the Bible talks about the first resurrection, and it says the rest of the dead live not till the thousand years are finished. Okay? This is that resurrection. The great white throne, that's the resurrection of the unsaved of all ages, all generations. I saw a great white throne on him that sat on it, for whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. Again, that's the unsaved dead. The saved dead are all in heaven. Small and great stand before God, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. All right? This is not on whether they're going to go to heaven or not. They've been, their souls have been in hell, some of them for thousands of years. Now they're brought out. They're standing trial. You know what verse, 13, verse 12 is? This is the evidence presented against all these unsaved dead. This is what you did. These are your crimes. These are your sins. This is what you've done. And the sea gave up the dead which are in it. In other words, all those buried at sea, lost at sea, uh, whatever, and the dead and death and hell, that is Hades or, the, or temporary hell. Death is the idea of the graves. Delivered dead which in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. So, for degrees of punishment, that's a whole other subject. 
and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Anybody who's named only those who are saved, their names are written in the book of life. How do I get my name in that book? You might say, well, by trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. All right? And so let's one more verse, and that's Matthew 24. Let's just go there for a moment. You know, this is a this is a this is a, a verse, this is a message. This is a message that has permanent and eternal consequences. Look at this verse in uh, uh, Matthew 24 and verse 44, and we'll close with this. Matthew 24 and verse 44. Jesus says, Therefore, be ye also ready. Prepared in other words. Ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man come. I think it was it was either D.L. Moody or R.A. Torrey who used to go around talking to people. He would say, Do you think Christ is coming today? I think not. They'd say, I think not, I think not, I think not, I think not. And he would read this verse. Such an hour as you think not. The Son of Man comes. He's coming, folks. Now, as far as we're concerned, the rapture, he could come today. Oh, I love it. I, my, I have this thing. I, you know I've heard that before. I have this dream that we're finishing up our service and we're singing, Oh, Lord Jesus, how long, how long? And he decides now is how long. And we go right up through there, right up there. To be the Lord, if we're saved, if you're saved, and praise the Lord for that. But listen, if you're not saved, and I want to talk to you afterwards. If you're not saved, never trusted Christ as Savior. This is so important. Oh my, this is so important. If you don't trust Christ as Savior, you'll lift up your eyes in hell like the rich man in, in Luke 19 or Luke 16. I always get to 19. Um, 16. <laughs> I'll have to look it up. Um, it's in the book of Luke. I know that for sure. All right. I'm just going to say I'll find it once and for all. I'll forget next weekend again. Right, let me see. It is. It's 16. All right. 16. 19 to 31 talks about that. All right. So we need to be. We need to be ready now for the Christian. How can we? How can we be ready? Well, the Bible says in First John 2:28. Uh, Therefore, uh, little children abide in him. That when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So the way to be ready is to be to abide in Christ. Why? Because if we're abiding in him, we'll be what we ought to be, we'll be doing what we ought to be doing, we'll be living our life to the glory of God. Again, one of those famous evangelists of old, I think it was Tory, somebody said to him one time, what would you do if you knew Christ was coming back in 24 hours? And he said, I do what I do every day. Now that, would to God, that could be our testimony in, in anticipating the Lord's coming. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank Thee so much for the Scripture, for the Word of God. And I know we've gone 100 miles an hour through through these Scriptures, yet I hope, it, Lord, that it has laid or built upon the foundation. I hope and pray everybody in this room already has this foundation, already has a basic understanding of the events. But Lord, if not, I just pray that this has been a real help and a challenge. And again, for any who, as a, as a, a, a non-believer, that they would come to Christ today. And for believers, that we might take this seriously and realize that we need to um, live for the Lord every moment of every day. And so help us, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's just take a hymn books, and I thank you. Thanks for your listening. 
we're going to just take a look at, at hymn number 148 in the hymn book. And stand please, we'll just sing the first and the fourth verses and then we will uh, remember our Lord's broken body and shed blood and death on the cross. And I think about the words of Paul uh, where he said, uh, as often as you can spread me this cup and you share the Lord's cup till he come. So the thing about is coming. Verse 1, 148. When Jesus comes to reward his servants, whether it be moon or night, faithful to him will he find us watching with our lamps all trimmed and bright. Oh, can we say we are ready, brother, ready for the soul's bright home? Say, will we find you and me still watching, waiting, waiting when the Lord shall In his glory they shall share. If he shall come at the dawn or midnight, will he find us watching there? Oh, can we say we are ready, brother, ready for the soul's bright home? Say, you and me still watching, waiting, waiting when the Lord shall come. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may it be said of, each, of all of us that we are ready, we will be ready, we'll be watching, waiting when the Lord shall come. There's that special promise of Hebrews that unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Help us, O oh God, help us to keep our eyes focused on Thee, to set our affection on things above, not things on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. Please be seated. We're going to uh, go into our observance of the Lord's table. And I want to just remind you of some scripture um, that... The Lord Jesus, it says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, break it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you, in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And so, praise the Lord, we talked about, we were talking a little bit about that great kingdom and its coming. And one of the ways it's going to begin is with the observance of the Lord's table. And so we praise the Lord for that. All right, we're going to do, as we always do, not just because we always do it, but because it's very important, we're going to take a t some time of silent prayer 
self-examination, as Paul said, let a man examine himself. And so let's do that, and so that we might be sure that we are prepared and ready and worthy to take partake of the Lord's table. Let's go to prayer. Without in prayer, Brother Bruce, would you please lead us and ask them for God's blessing on this observance? Our God and our Father, we thank you for the message from your word today. Father, you bring us together in your house. Lord, we thank you that your word does tell us of all these things. Father, we don't have to wonder, we don't have to try to find our own way. You clearly tell us what it is that needs to be done. <coughs> to be named one of yours. Father, we thank you above all that it tells us of our Savior's great love and all that he suffered for us to purchase our redemption. We ask a blessing now on our time as we partake of these elements to remind us of what he did for us. Help us, Father, be faithful servants each day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. All right. Um, <coughs> regarding the bread... Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Regarding the cup, Precious Lord said, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. <coughs> right, and there is a little trash can back in the back there. Um, let's stand to our feet, please. Let's take our hymn books <coughs> and uh, turn to number 128. Reminder of what the Lord has done for us, and let's just sing the first and the last verses, <coughs> because Jesus said, "I'm coming again." All right, one twenty-eight wounded for me. Wounded for me. Wounded for me. There on the cross he was wounded for me. Gone my transgressions and now I am free. All because Jesus was wounded for me. Coming for me. Yeah. 